Well, this morning our scripture reading is going to come from the Old Testament book of Nehemiah in chapter 2, starting at verse 11 and then through to verse 20. So if you want to pull that up in your own Bible or one of the Bibles under the seats in order to read along or refer back to it, you're welcome to do so. It'll be, the words will be on the screen behind me as well when I read. So these words are the account of Nehemiah, an official who had returned to the city of Jerusalem where their rebuilding project was not going terribly well. And this is what he does when he first arrives. So starting at verse 11, he says, I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one that I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. And then I moved toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up to the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or the officials or any others who would be doing the work. And then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me. And what the king had said to me, and they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked us and they ridiculed us. What is this you are doing? They asked. Are you rebelling against the king? And I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his word. So we've been working through a series of messages on the subject of restoration and failure. Grappling pretty heavily with the failure side of that up to today, although today we're a little heavier on the rebuilding and the restoration. And we began with with personal failure and restoration with Peter, who denied Jesus and then who was restored to relationship and leadership. We considered failures and conflicts in community and the biblical instructions on bearing with one another as the church. And last week, we looked at sometimes a disillusioning struggle of the failures of leaders. We used the example of the prophet Samuel, who led Israel for a lifetime with integrity in contrast to most of the leaders who came before and after him who did not. And so we're exploring failure first because it is part of life and also because the Bible is full of it. And so how we respond to our own failures, to the failures of the people and the systems that we are connected to, that plays a big role in our ability to simply experience happiness and and peace in our lives. It's also a way in which We can show ourselves to be set apart as followers of Jesus when we are able to respond to it in a healthy way. And we do all this as we worship a God of restoration and renewal 
and reconciliation. One of the wonderful things about faith in Jesus Christ is that we know that we are not defined by our failures or by our sins or mistakes. Jesus gave his life for us so that we can be defined by the new life that he gives us. Our God is a God of second chances and third chances and thousandth chances. But the thing about second chances and third chances and thousandth chances is that picking yourself up, starting over again, that can get harder with each failure or setback or struggle. Starting again often is not easy. Starting again and again and again can be especially difficult. And that's what we're looking at when we consider this Old Testament figure of Nehemiah. And so to appreciate the challenges that Nehemiah overcame, we have to know a little bit about his story and the world he was living in. And I think this will help us see a few things. So last week, when we looked at the prophet Samuel, we spoke about how the majority of the kings of Israel and Judah were not very faithful to God during their reigns. Their reigns were full of idolatry and injustice and corruption. And so ultimately, this led to God allowing his people to be conquered. Most of them deported to Babylon after their capital of Jerusalem was destroyed, along with God's temple there. But this was not an abandonment of his people. God allowed them to survive and even thrive in exile. They clung to their faith and their heritage. They established a system of worship in local synagogues. And then the Persian Empire came and took over, and some of its rulers were interested in establishing a presence to the West, where Israel and Judah had been. And so God worked in this to allow many of his people to return to Jerusalem. And we should maybe think about that for a moment, and how big an undertaking this was, and the sacrifice involved in this, because many of these people had been living in exile for generations now, and often they had done pretty well for themselves. They had homes and businesses. They had extended families there. But when they were given this opportunity to return to the home of their ancestors, tens of thousands of them went back to that city which had been smashed and burned to the ground. And they were not welcome there. Many of the people in that surrounding area certainly did not want to see Jerusalem rebuilt. That was a threat to their own power and influence. And so we shouldn't be surprised to find that this was not an easy process. When they first arrived, they quickly rebuilt the temple altar. They began offering sacrifices again, and they started to rebuild the temple. But by the very next year, that work had stopped, and it didn't start again for 15 years when some new leadership arrived and helped them begin again, again. Four years later, they finished the temple, and it was this wonderful but also bittersweet moment because it was a triumph to have restored their temple, but they also knew that this new temple this was not what the old temple was. It was not as big or impressive as the original. And that caused the returnees some sorrow along with their pride. And then almost a generation later, a priest named Ezra returned to Jerusalem and found that the people's faith needed rebuilding. They were not being faithful to many of God's commands. They didn't even know much of what their scriptures said. And so Ezra tried to rekindle a religious awakening there. And then it's another decade that passes when we meet Nehemiah. He was a trusted official of the king of Persia, and he heard that things were just not going well in Jerusalem. They had many different problems, but the one Nehemiah was focused on was the fact that those walls were still in ruins a hundred years after his people had first returned to rebuild. A hundred years. And you know, we don't know if they tried and failed or just not bothered trying, but the, the walls were still broken down. And without the walls, Jerusalem would never be a safe and prosperous city the way it once had been. 
And so Nehemiah traded his very cushy job in the king's court for a commission to go to Jerusalem and try to find a way to get things moving there. And that is where we get to our chosen scripture lesson for today from Nehemiah chapter 2, which tells us that when Nehemiah first arrived, he didn't really let anybody in on his plans. And after a couple of days, he went out in the night where people couldn't observe what he was doing and uh, just took a few trusted people with him. And he went around the whole city, at least the whole old part of the city, and took a look at all the different walls, the gates, uh, the whole, just got an assessment of what the whole project would entail. And it was only then that he went and he met with the officials and the priests of Jerusalem, all of the, the stakeholders, all the influential people, and tried to convince them that it was time to do something about this situation. Come, let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. And they agreed. They would finally try and secure their, their city. And here's an interesting little Bible fact if you want to carry it around with you. Do you know how long it took them to rebuild the walls and repair the gates after those, they'd been neglected for 100 years? It took them two months. Two months to reestablish the defenses which had paved the way for Jerusalem to become an influential city in that region again. And this is not, by the way, you know, disputed by historians or archaeologists or anything. The, the accounts of Ezra and Nehemiah in the Bible are widely viewed as, as reliable and historical by people inside and outside the church. And so this, this feat is even more amazing when you read through the book of Nehemiah and you see the different challenges he faced, right? There were rival officials in the area that tried to discourage and demoralize the people of Jerusalem. They, when that didn't work, they threatened to attack. And so the people had to be out there on the walls working, but also armed at the same time, ready to switch from you know, building the wall to defending the city from raiders at any moment. There were threats of assassination against Nehemiah himself. They also tried to slander and discredit him to disrupt the work. And then there was just the exhaustion of pushing ahead day after day on this massive project that they were trying to finish so quickly. And so a really good question for a reader of this book might be, how did he do it? How did he pull that off? Why did Nehemiah succeed where others had either failed or not even bothered to try? And I have a few answers that I'll then connect back to the work of starting over, starting over in our lives or in the life of our church. But first, why, why did Nehemiah succeed? And there's more than five reasons, but I'm going to give you five reasons that I think he succeeded. And the first and most important was that he was, he was called by God and he was asked, and he asked for God's help in key moments. Nehemiah didn't just run off to Jerusalem because he had an opinion or because he thought there was a good opportunity for him there. He was told that things were not going well. He was grieved by this, and his first act was to pray, to confess that, first of all, this failure was his people's fault, was his family's fault, was his fault for their unfaithfulness in the past. And he asked for God's help in letting him go there and start to make things right, make things better. And at other key moments, Nehemiah also turned to prayer. Most of the chapters in Nehemiah have a prayer in them somewhere along the way. He tried to follow God's leading. A second thing, and I think this is really valuable, is that Nehemiah chose we. He chose the word we. Nehemiah could have shown up with his papers from the king and just said, all right, listen up, you bunch of failures. Since you can't do anything right, I am here to fix your mess, so let's get to work. But that's not what happened at all. 
when Nehemiah first prayed to God, you know, first he, he joined himself with this failure, with this problem. He asked for forgiveness. He said, I confess that we've sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. This is why Jerusalem's in ruins. And he says, we have sinned. Not my stupid ancestors have sinned, but we, my people. And then when he talks to the people of Jerusalem, he says, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. The gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. So Nehemiah didn't separate himself from the people or the problem. He chose to own what had happened. He chose to make himself part of the we who would do something about it. Third thing we see here is that he planned very carefully, right? Before even letting people know why he was there, he went out and checked everything out for himself. And once he convinced the people to start the work, he demonstrated a lot of shrewdness, a lot of clever planning. When he was assigning people to work on sections of the walls, he gave them parts that mattered the most to them personally. So if you had a house in this section of the, uh, of the city, you were sent to repair the piece of wall closest to it, the part that would defend you and your own family. He sent the priests to repair the gates that the, the animals would be led into for sacrifices at the temple. Uh, for people who came from outside Jerusalem to help with the work, he gave them the sections that nobody in the city cared that much about <laughs> because you know, they, weren't, uh, they, they weren't affected either way by that. And so he just, there were a lot of different clever decisions in the, in the book of Nehemiah that helped show us why it was successful and why it happened so quickly. The fourth thing is simply that he persevered. Despite the mocking and the slander and the threats of violence, Nehemiah kept going and inspired others to do the same. And the final thing, I think, about why this all succeeded is that Nehemiah lived and led justly. When we studied the leadership of the prophet Samuel last week, you know, Samuel was the one who, at the end of his long life of leadership, got up in front of everyone and said, have I done anything wrong? Have I mistreated anyone? Have I stolen anything? And no one could think of anything. And Nehemiah also led with integrity. He got his hands dirty. He, when he found there were oppressive practices that were abusing the vulnerable in the city, he went and overturned those things. He told the truth. When he was later appointed as the governor in that area, he didn't take advantage of all the perks of that that would have let him just kind of enjoy the high life while everybody else struggled. And so because the people trusted him, they trusted him enough to work in the face of, of danger as they started over again. So despite the various setbacks, Nehemiah rallied the people. They rebuilt their city. And I want to consider for a few minutes what that could say to us and the life of our church. And I'm going to start, about, start with the church side of it, rebuilding, because we've now put out some highlights of our Mission Edge action plan today, and the, the presentation will come next week, along with a request to the congregation to affirm some of the vision and goals that are there, which is a little bit like Nehemiah coming and saying, come, let us rebuild, hoping that the response he'll get in return is, let us start rebuilding. The Mission Edge process was our assessing and planning you know, our, our midnight assessment, looking at where we are in 2023, seeking a vision for where we could go from here, God helping us. But we'll need some of those Nehemiah qualities if we're going to move forward into a brighter future. And if you've, for instance, been part of the church for a long time, then it might be perseverance that you need most from that list of qualities. 
Because it, it's not easy to have been part of something when it was bigger and when certain things worked better and then to gear up and try to rebuild again and again. But if you stay part of any church long enough, even a church that avoids conflicts like church splits or challenges like a pandemic, there are still going to be cycles of growth and decline, times when rebuilding must occur. And the people who've lasted through those things, who have the history and experience, they can greatly help everyone else if they persevere because they can be a steadying and encouraging presence, reminding us that God has already been with us through many ups and downs, and He will be with us in what comes next. If you haven't been with us very long, then you can be a great source of energy and life because you're not worried about what hasn't worked in the past. And so we gain much from those who come with fresh eyes and with new thoughts. But you might need to take a lesson from Nehemiah in choosing to use we, because the way I see it, when I join with a church, when someone joins themselves to a church, you choose to start using we instead of I and them. Because you now have as much stake in the community as anybody else if you've you know, been a member for a day or for 50 years. And Nehemiah's example is a good one here because he came into Jerusalem saying, I am one of you. Your failures are my failures, your problems are my problems, and your successes will be my successes. Let's work together. Choose we. And now despite all that we have in the works, rebuilding as a community that fits into Nehemiah's story, I also don't want to dwell there too much because I want to also connect to how we might think about this as we rebuild things on a personal level. Because lots of things can happen to a person that require rebuilding or require starting over. You can be forced into a big career change. You can go through a divorce. You can lose a close family member or suffer an injury or illness that upends your life. Sometimes the cause is internal, though, instead of external. Just a realization that you cannot carry on living this way. Or a crisis of faith where you just start to call into question important things that you believed, everything that you believed. Confusion and suffering and loss are part of life. And sometimes they require that we rebuild or restart. And I don't know many people who have not had moments where they were left with the choice of either giving up or starting over in some way. And here, Nehemiah also offers some encouragement because he must have been tempted to give up many times when his work was mocked, his people exhausted, enemies trying to lure him into traps and he didn't know he could trust and he was accused of plotting a rebellion. I mean, that can't have been a fun few weeks. It's probably why, as I said, just about every chapter of the book of Nehemiah includes a prayer. And sometimes they're lengthy prayers, but most of the time they were very short, and they often repeated the same request to God, remember me. Remember me with favor, my God, for all that I have done for these people. Remember me for this, my God, and do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and its services. Remember me. For this also, my God, and show mercy to me according to your great love. These prayers keep coming back to this. God, I'm trying. God, I'm trying to do what's right. I'm trying to make all of this work for your sake and the sake of these people. I'm working as hard as I can and as skillfully as I can. Remember me. Is that you some days? I'm trying as hard as I can. I'm trying to do what's right. But today it's hard. 
I find it encouraging that there is also a remember me prayer in the New Testament. And it's the one prayed by the criminal being crucified next to Jesus, who says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus didn't ask him anything else or ask anything else from him. He received this request in faith and he said, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And so I can't speak to every circumstance or that someone might be experiencing or the best way through it. Whatever you might need to rebuild, however you might need to start again, there are probably not a lot of easy answers for that. But there are reasons for Christians to have hope because you are not alone. God is with you. He remembers you. He sent His Son to give you life and to allow you to join your life to His as a follower of Jesus, an eternal life. And God will give you people to walk alongside you. You may need to pray for them to find you. You may need to do the humble and awkward thing of telling someone that you're struggling and ask for their support and their companionship, but they are out there. And just know that it matters that you're trying, that you're trying to get it right, that you're trying to do the right thing, that you're trying to please God. And if you fail, God will still love you. And if your rebuilding doesn't live up to your highest hopes, you will still inherit the kingdom of God because you are a child of God. And you know what? You never know when a breakthrough will happen. A hundred years in ruins, and Nehemiah got that wall rebuilt in 52 days. When God moves... Things that seemed impossible forever become possible. And so make the best plans you can. Persevere. Do what God says is right. Pray to the God who most certainly does remember you. And He can help you. He can help us when we need to start again, when we need to build lives and a church that will glorify Him. So I want to leave you now with a prayer which is taken from Nehemiah chapter 9, which is mostly a whole chapter of, of prayer. I've cut that down a bit, but let's just receive this thinking of Nehemiah's story, thinking of what we need to rebuild in our own lives, and thinking of our spiritual community that we share and the rebuilding that would glorify God here. Let us pray. Lord God, blessed be your glorious name. May it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens and all their starry host, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. You are the Lord God who chose Abram, rescued your people from slavery in Egypt, made known your commands through Moses, sustained the life of your people, and was patient with them even when they rebelled. You are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loyal love. You don't give up on people. You gave your people a new and a good land. When they were disobedient, you gave them into the hands of their enemies, but when they were oppressed, you heard their cries and delivered them. In your great compassion, you rescued them and let them start again and again. Now, mighty and awesome God, who keeps His covenant of love in all that has happened, You have been faithful while we acted wickedly. Continue in Your faithfulness. Help us to rebuild what must be rebuilt. 
Help us to rebuild our lives in the face of failures and hardships. Help us rebuild our faith in the face of apathy or doubt. Help us rebuild our church after setbacks. Help us to rebuild the reputation of Jesus' followers who are often not seen as being very much like Jesus. Help us to rebuild our passion for you, that we might experience joy and confidence as we live out each day that you give us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen.